Hello and welcome to Netflix, your weekly guide on what to binge this week. Barney Kinkle, the only person you're gonna scare is yourself! Charlie! What are you oh, doing? Keep the noise down. What are you doing here? Maze, just in time. There's a whole load of police here. Send the word you're gonna hurt yourself. Or someone else. <laughs> How many children are you friends with? I'm Helen Daly. And I'm Helen Kelly. This week, we're marking the return of Mindhunter, which is back for its highly anticipated second season. We're going to give you the lowdown on the new series with all the hottest theories and speculation about what's to come. And for those of you who are like me and haven't seen Mindhunter at all, I've got a pretty neat alternative with the family. Wait, you haven't seen it? Um, no. (laughs) Um, But I'm willing to have my eyes opened if you can convince me. I'm sure we can. Prepare to enter the world of Mindhunter. Here we go. So this week we're joined by Neela Debnath and Alex Davies. Hello guys. Hey. Hi. Thanks for joining us. And they have absolutely everything you didn't know about Mindhunter. But before that, if you haven't seen Mindhunter, it's probably one of the best shows that you've never seen. In season one, which launched fairly quietly on Netflix in 2017, it saw the early days of criminal psychology and criminal profiling examined at the FBI. At the head of this new 1970s scheme, Holden Ford and Bill Tench create the Behavioural Science Unit within the training division at the FBI Academy. It's quite wordy, but it's quite straightforward, really. They interview some of America's most notorious serial killers, such as Ed Kemper and Daryl Jean Devier, in order to create a profile about serial killers as a collective. So the series as a whole makes for seriously compelling, haunting and unmissable viewing. Well, that's my opinion. What do you guys think about it? Amazing. Yeah, can't disagree with that. It's very dialogue heavy for a Netflix series, but that shouldn't put you off. It's incredibly gripping. The performances are incredible. And yeah, it's, if you haven't seen it, I couldn't recommend it highly enough. Yeah, completely agree with Alex. It's one of them that you can just rinse through, right? Yeah, definitely. I think it's just so compelling. It just keeps you gripped. And the fact that it's based on true stories, just crazy. It's well, heavy. It's a heavy view. It's a heavy binge, but it's a good binge. But yeah, I mean, it is heavy, but it does have like moments of quite light relief. And some bits are quite... Funny, dare I say. Funny, yeah. <laughs> There's a bit of comic relief in there, yeah. There's also quite a bit quite a bit quite a few sex scenes with Adrian Ford yes. to divert away from the uh murderous talk. Yeah, but it's it's part of it, isn't it? It's to like juxtapose that kind of thing, yeah. the fact that they're dealing with these horrific crimes that have that sexual element to it with his Yeah. But as well you have like a really nice relationship between um Holden and Bill. So that's Jonathan Groff and Holton McKinley. McCallany. McCallany. It's a hard one to say. Um, <laughs> yeah, but Neela, you know, I know in particular you are very interested in the, the books. Yes, I am. Um, I recently read Mindhunter, which is the book that the TV show is based on. So that's by John Douglas and Mark Olshaker. So they've collaborated, collaborated even on a number of books over the years. Um, and they've actually got a new one out, um, which is called The Killer Across the Table, Unlocking the Secrets of Serial Killers and Predators with the FBI's original Mindhunter. So this book kind of has similar themes to Mindhunter, more about kind of the serial killers and stuff. Um, and hopefully we'll be speaking to John and Mark um, as part of Netflix podcast soon. 
so watch this space great and um you know tell me more about how Mindhunter actually found its way onto Netflix because it has quite an interesting background yeah so sure so it kind of came about after Charlize Theron was kind of reading this book so she's the Hollywood actress um she won the Oscar in 2003 for Monster um, where she played a serial killer called Eileen Wuornos. Um, and so she was reading this book and she got in touch with David Fincher and kind of like saying that you should develop it for screen, it'll be amazing and stuff. And I don't think it was a coincidence that she was reading Mindhunter, I mean, maybe to delve into the psyche of murderers and stuff. Um, and so she spoke to him and then initially Fincher wanted to do a film because he felt more comfortable with kind of like films and stuff like that but um he eventually did house of cards which is one of the first netflix originals and so he kind of got comfortable with the medium and stuff and then he decided to make it but it just took a lot of years to kind of get it into production and as you know he's also worked on seven and zodiac which are also about serial killers what's in the box <laughs> yeah exactly what i had to i'm sorry exactly and so yeah so both Charlize theron and david fincher are executive producers on it and what do you actually think of this adaptation? Do you think it is quite good in terms of the books? Because I know you are a big fan of the So books. it isn't a straight adaptation. It's more kind of a dramatisation of it. So you've got the serial killers and the cases. Those are real. However, the FBI agents, Holden Ford and Bill Tench and Professor Wendy Carr, they aren't real, but they're kind of amalgams of real people. So kind of Holden and Bill are kind of based on John Douglas and his um, partner, Robert Ressler. Um, whereas Wendy's character is based on Anne Burgess, who worked with the FBI agents on profiling the serial killers. So the serial killers are real. Who do we see in season one? So in season one, we see people like Ed Kemper. He very much stands out. He's the first person they kind of speak to. So the co-ed killer, he was real. And he is going to be revisited a lot in season two as well. He turns up in the trailer um, and Cameron Britton, who plays him, gives this incredible, chilling and very accurate portrayal of him. Like if you go on YouTube, you'll see Ed Kemper kind of videos and the kind of uncanniness that he manages to capture. Kemper is just... The side by side is incredible. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I must pause for a second. Ed Kemper is one of like the most compelling characters that I've seen on Mindhunter. Yeah, I think that's mainly down to Britain's portrayal yeah. of him as well. Britain does an incredible job. As I'm so Ed happy to hear he's back, like yeah, in like, a weird way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, that's a sentence that probably nobody's ever said before. <laughs> yeah. So happy to see Ed Kemper back. Just me. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's great that he's back. I, he only appeared in three episodes of the was first it only season. Three? It was only three. Really, that's cool. And he got an Emmy nod for it. He's literally like the the face that I can picture when I think of Mindhunter. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. And like the real uh, Ed Kemper was like 6'9", 300 pounds. And uh, obviously Cameron Britton's not quite that, but he still does an incredible job of like encapsulating mm. the real life one. Mm. And Neela, who else is in it? So we've got people like Monty Rissell and Richard Speck. Again, they're real people. And obviously you've got this whole thing with like these weird cutaways. And I'm not going to say too much about it, but see these weird kind of this weird ADT guy going to someone's house and you see him burning things later on so he's got a part to play in and he is based on a real life serial killer but I won't say anymore <laughs> you tease <laughs> um, so what has changed from the books okay so it's written by playwright Joe Penhall and so he has taken creative license and like dramatization I mean there are moments that have been changed to make things more exciting so there's this bit where 
Richard Speck, one of the serial killers, is talking to Holton and Tench, and he's got this bird in his hand, and they're like, oh, why do you have that kind of thing? He's like, oh, I've nursed it better and stuff. And then as the interview's going on, things get more tense, and then he kills the bird by throwing it into this fan that's just nearby whirring around. Yeah. And that is horrific to watch. It didn't quite happen like that. I mean, for dramatic license, they put it in to the interview scene. Um, but it did happen in real life, but just not like that. Interesting. Yeah. How did he kill the, he killed the bird in the fan he, though, right? He killed the bird exactly in the fan, but it was when a prison guard asked him, no, told him, you're not allowed to keep pets. No one's allowed to keep pets. And he's like, okay, throw it into the fan. If I can't have it, no one else can. That is brutal. That's arguably as chilling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To be fair. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's fantastic that kind of Penhall kind of weaved it into the story and stuff. Mm. And the other one that is the really weird one about the head teacher that tickles children's feet to punish them. It's very, very creepy. I mean, like, they make more of it in the kind of TV show and it has an effect on Holden because it leads to kind of his breakdown. They did have something like that. Douglas mentions it in the book, but only as an aside. But it's amazing how Penhall's like, OK, I'm going to grab this. I'm going to take it. I'm going to weave it into the plot. So... That's so interesting that it's just an aside in the book. Like, you must think these guys have, like, seen so much that that's just a little aside. Yeah. And so I think we're going to just kind of see more of these in season two because it was left on a bit of a cliffhanger in season one. Definitely. Yeah. Because when the wife turns up and says, like, look what you've done kind of thing and what are you doing? So So in terms of season two, how is the book going to play into it? So it's going to be across the kind of backdrop of the Charles Atlanta murders that took place between 1979 and 81 and saw over 28 children, teenagers and adults killed. Um, I'm not going to say too much, um, but there is a conflict in the which turns up in the trailer. Local authorities think it's the Ku Klux Klan, but Holden's saying to them that people rarely cross racial lines when killing. So you've got that kind of tension playing out and stuff. And what's actually really interesting is that John Douglas has said that with the breakdown of racial divides, that serial killers are now actually killing outside of their race. So it means that stranger on stranger killings are becoming more and more prevalent. And yeah, it's quite depressing. It seems like it's kind of got a good grounding to be a really lengthy series. Do you think that it's going to continue after season two? I really hope so. I mean, having read the book, I'm really intrigued to see what cases they'll cover next. There are some pretty quite horrific ones like Robert Hansen, who was this successful baker, um, but also a serial killer who would fly women out to the Alaskan wilderness in his private aeroplane and then let them loose and kind of hunt them like animals. Yeah. As you do. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's it's absolutely horrific. Um, so, yeah. So I think also I should recommend this because after watching Mindhunter recently, I was just like, if you need something after you finish season two, really, really recommend The Science of the Lambs. So Thomas Harris, who... Um, wrote the book he was inspired by John Douglas's work and you can see kind of Mindhunter all over the Silence of the Lambs and the fact that even the X-Files has been influenced by it because Gillian Anderson's character Dana Scully she was influenced they her character was kind of inspired by Clarice Starling so there's so much out there and kind of Mindhunter and that work within not only kind of like law enforcement and FBI profiling, but within kind of popular culture. It's pretty amazing, actually. Criminal, criminal Minds also yeah. focuses on this sort of like yeah. psyches of serial killers, or not necessarily yeah. just serial killers. And I think it's N- uh, CSI as well. CSI, yeah. So there is lots if you are There's interested in this more. morbid kind of thing. <laughs> um, so, Alex, we are all up to date with season one, but I know that you have the gossip on season two. Yeah, so 
so far, all we have at the moment is a two-minute clip, the trailer. But there's still plenty to take away from it. Obviously, Holden, Tench, and Wendy, the psychologist who works with them, they're all back. As is Ed Kemper, as we've said. And yeah, he's so far the only returning serial killer that we know will be in the next series. But we do know also that that mysterious man at the beginning of every episode of season one yep. from Kansas, the, shall I say it? The BTK killer for those. <laughs> You've said it now. I've said it now. Because it, he is a real life serial killer. He is back in season two, even though we don't see him in the trailer. But we know this because Holt McCallany said it during a Q&A, I think. Yeah, he has. Yeah, he's, yeah, so he said he's back. But the real life BTK killer wasn't caught until the turn of the millennium, right. 2005. We're still in 1979 to 1981. Yeah, yeah. it's chilling. So how they're still going to use that in season two, if they're still just going to use cutaways at the beginning of each episode, I think that'll be interesting. Because I don't know when they're ever going to cross paths. It is quite interesting the way that they've filmed that with the, the little bits at the beginning. Yeah. Mm. No Why context. do you think that is? I think it's more for the people who genuinely have a, a, a vast knowledge of the background of the story that Mindhunter is based on. Because if you're just watching it as a Netflix series, I mean, I went into it blind. Yeah, pretty same. Much. So no. I was like, at the beginning of every, ep- every episode, I was just like, who is this bloke? <laughs> like, why is he burning those drawings yeah what you doing yeah but then obviously with the with the context behind it you start to realize that oh this guy was some a pretty nasty bloke it feels like you're really building up to something yeah which is why i think he obviously he will return in season two but i think it gives the series longevity to go beyond that as well so who is new speaking of the longevity Again, so we have a load of new serial killers this year. <laughs> Yay. So excited. <laughs> uh, most, uh, the most famous, we have Charles Manson, who, I mean, he really doesn't need any introduction. Yeah, interesting He's guy. Ve- yeah, interesting is the right <laughs> word. Uh, so Charles Manson's in it. We only know, according to IMDb, he's only in it for one episode, though. So whether he will take up the entire episode or... Whether he may feature again later in the series, we'll have to wait till season two actually drops. Uh, But he's played by Damon Herriman, who is an Australian actor who also plays Charles Manson in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I love the casting. It's like you're typecast as Charles Manson. I mean, it's a hell of a thing to have on your CV. (laughs) Has he got any more like upcoming projects? Just all Charles Manson. Yeah. All Charles Manson. Um, And we've also got a new serial killer in the form of Son of Sam, who whose real name is David Berkowitz. And he went on a spree in New York back in the 60s where he shot about a dozen women with long black hair and it hit headlines all over the city because mainly because women were, one, not only afraid to go out, but they would buy blonde wigs and the entire city was just like suddenly covered with these long-haired blonde women. That's insane. Because they were so scared of this bloke who was going oh, around shooting. Very interesting. Long-haired, dark-haired, uh, long-haired brunette women. I, I think what also, you know, when you were saying about Charles Manson only being in one episode, mm. I wonder if they're going to continue that to season three or whether they are just going to mention him in passing because that would be quite interesting like well, to they, just leave him out. Well, they mentioned him in passing in season one, obviously, yeah. and that obviously set it up very well for this season. And I mean, it, it entirely depends on the time scale that they go into in season three because, I mean, he was still about for a while. 
they could easily revisit him again in season three. I think that episode is definitely going to be one to watch. Well, this guy has got Manson like down. He's nailed Manson. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he knows what he's doing. I, I want to see if they're going to bring Ted Bundy in because he didn't die until well, he wasn't executed until 1989. So and the real life agents did interview Ted Bundy. Yeah, didn't so they? Bill Hagmeyer, who was on kind of John Douglas's team, he did actually go and speak to him. So there is scope, I guess. For they that. really could bring anyone in i guess they could i mean i'd be interested to see the golden state killer who was only like literally caught last year who had been active during the 70s in various different uh, different guises in california i don't know if they will but that's an interesting one it's not mentioned in mindhunter but kind of fits the timeline and the context perhaps that could be you know the the kind of little what's it called like a prologue at the beginning yeah maybe it could be one of the cutways as well yeah And obviously we have the Atlanta child murders, so the serial killer. Well, again, not trying to give away too many spoilers Mm. about the actual series, (laughs) but it's likely that the killer, the person responsible for those, will appear as well. But I won't tell you his name. (laughs) I can see his name on our script. (laughs) (laughs) But um, what is interesting, actually, the Atlanta child murders have been around in the media quite a lot recently. Um, I just listened to a really fantastic podcast, actually. It's called um, Atlanta Monster actually um it's the first season and it's all about the child murder so i'm actually like really clued up on that one so um yeah definitely i mean if anything if the the show is anything like the podcast the second season is going to be fantastic because this is not a straightforward case like in the slightest there's Mm. a a lot of twists and actually i think seeing the, the kind of criminal profiling play a part of this case will actually be quite interesting to watch definitely it sounds fascinating. I will definitely have to give that a listen to. So, Alex, how are our heroes in season two? So, obviously, like I say, they're all back. Uh, Holden doesn't appear to have changed at all since season one. Uh, from the two-minute clip, the trailer, he seems to pretty much annoy everybody he comes <laughs> into contact with just by being an arrogant so-and-so. <laughs> that naughty man. That naughty, <laughs> naughty agent. Uh, so... He's back, he's up to his old tricks, but the big story from our heroes for season two probably lies with Tench, because we see from the the trailer, Tench and his wife Nancy, they're having some marital problems. It's something that was a theme in season one. It looks like it's going to carry over into season two as well. Um, As to what exactly their marital problems stem from, there's plenty of theories out there. One theory suggests that their adoptive son, who stumbled across Tench's photos oh, yes. in the first season, yes. some people think he might start to exhibit the behaviour of a serial killer himself, and then Tench is going to clock it, and it will destroy his family. Oh, God. That Just is, to keep it really good, light. I was going to say that's a good theory, because uh, in Mindhunter, they have like this... like. What is it? They call it like the trio of things that if you display it in childhood, it can mean that you mm. become a serial killer. One of them is um, killing animals. One of them is setting fire to things. And one of them is bedwetting. Well, that's the thing. In the trailer, they said there's a like a split second scene of Nancy hugging Tench in the garden. And apparently behind them, you can see flames. Oh, my God. And that's what, these, this, what, that's what this person, this person, that's what some fans have picked up on. Amazing. And because we already yeah. know that tension is son's relationship is already not great, that could come into play. Perhaps but it that's could be. That's an entire theory. I'm, not, I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> this whole thing is I'm like sold. conspiracy. <laughs> but, you know, perhaps it could be something like 
um, Tench doesn't recognise the signs. They're right in front of him and Even he so. doesn't spot mm. it. Or he refuses to spot them. Yeah, potentially. Maybe Holden sees it. <laughs> oh God, that would be really interesting. The kind of, yeah. But I do think, I do think Tench's family life is going to play a bigger part this season than it did last season. We touched on it a bit, but... We saw more of Holden, I guess. Yeah, and his relationship with his girlfriend, which we still don't know if that's actually ongoing. Yeah. Because the final scene of season one was the principal's wife. Yes, that was, yeah. She says something like, I hope you're happy with the man you've married or something like that. And um, that's the last we see of her. So whether she cut things off with him, I guess we'll find out this season. It'll be interesting to see. Definitely. (laughs) We can't wait. (laughs) So we've already talked a little bit about season three. And where do you think that the series can go from here? It's very hard to say. Like the the BTK killer, like I say, they can't. I don't. I can't see them making contact with a BTK killer this season. So I feel like that se- that story has a lot of longevity for three, four, mm. even further because he wasn't. Like I say, he wasn't caught until two thousand five. Yeah. Yeah. And they they're like, I don't know how many how many years they covering in season one it was like only a handful maybe not three. many so yeah. either they're going to really drag it out and the makeup department's going to have to do a job on Holden and Ford and yeah. make them look ancient they could just do like a crown recasting I was <laughs> thinking could, yeah, well, that's not <laughs> get Completely. Tobias Menzies in why yeah. not <laughs> um, but I do think this season the Atlanta child murders will be wrapped up by the end of it it's only two years so I don't think we're going to see that go on to season three so the only real thing I can cling on to is that they will go on and explore the BTK killer's story a bit more. There are some other horrific ones. I guess they could carry on with Manson, really. They could keep revisiting Manson, yeah. I'm sure, like, just the the mention of the name makes people go, oh, okay. Yeah. And then, like, you're going to want to see how they develop that story. But you could also have breakouts, because who would have thought Ed Kemper... No, I hadn't heard of the co-ed killer before. No, me neither, to be fair. But that, that again, that's down to the actor's incredible performance. Yeah. And um, what do you think about a time jump, maybe? Potentially. Potentially, I could see that. I mean, it's not unforeseeable, but like I say, it, whether they would make um, Jonathan Groff and Holt McCallany ancient for it, like, I don't know. I don't think it's... I don't think it's what would be good for Mindhunter fans. I think Mindhunter fans like the the aesthetic of the 70s, 60s and yeah, 70s. Yeah, exactly. Seeing the, the, seeing the killings, as morbid as that sounds, but it's like seeing the stories play out in that time. To do, then fast forward it to this decade or the previous decade, I don't think it'd be good for the series personally. I think it could continue if it went into the 80s because that's where it's heading, isn't it? I think 80s yeah. and maybe even 90s, but yeah, I understand like there's no naughty's nostalgia as yet. Yeah, I maybe don't think 30 years. Nobody's crying Soon. out. For it. <laughs> yeah. So, Helen, you've sat here very patiently, very quietly, and um, we were just wondering have we convinced you to watch Mindhunter yet? Um. Yeah, kind of. But I have another show to bring to the table. So Mindhunter might be the best thing on Netflix I've never seen, but the family has also got people talking. So it dropped on Netflix last week, a very silent release. um, And a lot of people are calling it mind-blowing. For those of you who are yet to watch it, I'm guessing it's nearly everyone. I've seen the first I've seen bits, yeah. All right, okay. It's it's interesting. (laughs) Um, 
It's in five parts with the whole conspiracy storyline being wrapped up at the end. So if you sit through all five, you're going to get a conclusion. It's not one of those ones where you're like, great, another three years to wait until I find out what happens next. Um, so you could definitely spend a Saturday or Sunday binge watching it. And it's hard, to, not hard to see why some people might. So as we said, I do know a little bit about this, but can you tell those who might not have seen it what it's about? So the Netflix synopsis reads, they're the most politically influential Christian group you've never heard of. I had never heard of them, so they're right there. And they're pulling the strings of power in America and beyond. An enigmatic conservative Christian group known as The Family wields enormous influence in Washington, D.C. in pursuit of global ambitions. Now, to be honest, who isn't fascinated by American politics right now? Because I, for one, did not expect Donald Trump to be sitting in the White House right now, um, ruling one of the most powerful countries in the world. And this docuseries kind of promises to have the answer of how he got there why he's there he's kind of pulling the strings and like if anyone was helping him and I was a bit desperate to find out how it happened so did you enjoy it um it's quite hard with this one because I did I was kind of drawn in by the first episode it's hard to keep up with all the information because with the first episode it's kind of like some parts are dramatized as you kind of imagine what it was like for someone to join the family and them all sitting around and praying and reading not even the bible just the bits about jesus um and i was like oh, okay cool there's like snippets of like real life like this is what happened this is what it's like and then a dramatized version which i could get on board with but that never happened after episode one it was just very serious this person talking that person talking oh here's a clip from the past and it was just kind of hard to follow um I had to have breaks to search things on Google. Other search engines are available. <laughs> um, but if you love a documentary that's about a conspiracy, this is definitely one for you. I'm glad this is only five episodes long because I wouldn't be tuning in for much longer or for another series, unfortunately. <laughs> Season two of more conspiracies. <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't know whether maybe they'd look at like another conspiracy or like another group. but Another family. <laughs> I kind of hope this is it wrapped up. <laughs> but it's doing really well. It's getting lots of reactions. So I feel like, Netflix might bring out another series like The Family 2 or something. That's what, name. that's what put me off about it. When you talk about how Netflix have started doing this thing where they do documentaries, but then they put like actors and reenactments in it. It's very jarring. And I find it, it just really, it doesn't flow well for me. They did it with The Last Sars. Yeah, like the docuseries that yeah, was chocked full of like lots of sex, apparently. Pretty much, In yeah. between historical drama stuff they'll be speaking to somebody who has a really good insight on what actually happened and then they'll cut away to like this wooden scene <laughs> between these young actors and it's just like oh like just keep correct. it as a documentary yeah like i get like if you can't get the source materials in and like the old footage because it sounds like this was incredibly under wraps mm. but still i don't like the but they cutting kind of it had like acting. news clips and obviously you can't be like oh this is what it was like when i started i went to this house and was like in this kind of dorm and there was like people coming and like going and yeah. like political leaders. So I get that they reenacted it, but then they just dropped it after episode one. So I could kind of get on board in episode one with it because mm. it was like, okay, this is what it was like. And I could imagine what it was like. So there's no actors. But then in there's nothing after that episode. Two, like no reenactment. Jarring. And I was kind of like, have I, have I missed something? Is this still the same documentary? Have I swapped? What's I was watching on? episode two thinking like, oh, that's like the actors, they've changed them. And I was like, 
Oh, no, no, that's real. <laughs> like, that's See, actually. I prefer Amazing. that, though. Surely that would make it more authentic. I couldn't keep up with who was who, I think. Yeah, it's probably thing. best not to start with actors. Yeah, it? that's really strange that they've done that. I think they've got a long way to go to get on board with docuseries. They do stuff like The Crown really well, and they used to do stuff like Making a Murderer mm. documentary really well. They haven't yet found the right kind of formula for kind of like docuseries yet. So. Has anyone? I don't think anyone has. I think if Netflix, if anyone was going to do it, it would have been Netflix, but. It's a difficult kind of series to get on board with, definitely. I personally am enjoying it. I'm halfway through, so no spoilers on (laughs) the real fact. But um, yeah, no, I think it is, I think it's a good, it's a big shame really that they have picked a docuseries Mm. genre to go with because it is so interesting. Mm. And I think when I was paying attention to it, I was really in and yeah I was pausing it to go and look at stuff on Google but uh, it didn't really affect my enjoyment because I was actually involved in it but um yeah I think if they're going to do something like this again they really need to tighten it up a bit does it only focus on sort of Trump's rise to power or is it not really like I think in the trailer it kind of like had Trump a lot and he does feature in some parts but they don't really focus on him so I think the Trump element kind of drew me in like oh right okay so this is going to look at like who are like the background players, like who's supporting him, that kind of thing. And then when it came down to it, I'm watching things about how um, members of the family went over to like meet Gaddafi and sit and pray with him. And I'm like, sorry, what? <laughs> I, I thought it was going to be about American politics, but it was kind of about like how they'd do that. And then in the newspaper, they'd, they were like, oh yeah, this headline's really funny. Like this senator went over to Africa for his Jesus trip. And they're like, but this is actually really great publicity. And it's very, it kind of got confusing for me because I was like, are we looking at American politics or America's um, kind of relationship with other countries? And like, why are the family so interested in this? I feel like it could have gone in more detail, but like explained it better, if that makes sense. Um, But I do think it needs to make its mind up. Is it a docuseries? Is it a documentary? Like, because if you going to confuse me after episode one and two (laughs) then it doesn't bode well to be honest I think as well I think it's a a timeline problem they they maybe should have you know established the family within American politics Mm. and then said right well they also had this like wider circle with Gaddafi and stuff like that so yeah maybe that's just a problem on the storyboarding as Mm. such but it it is a shame definitely I think if you're going to do something like this you really need to sit and plan it out well otherwise it's just all going to go down the drain isn't it it's not going to work out well I mean I've still got one left so who knows if I'll even get to the end of episode five at this rate? Yeah, if it's only five, I'll probably end up watching it. But I'm not, my high hopes are not there. But Mindhunter yeah. season two, though. Mindhunter <laughs> season two, guys. Tune in. That's where it's at, Helen. Tune in. I will do. After hearing everything that you guys have predicted, <laughs> you couldn't. Um, so thanks, Neela, and thanks, Alex. No worries. Thank you for having me. that's all for this week thank you so much for joining us for our chat about mindhunter and if you haven't seen it helen please go now and binge it and if you like what you heard please subscribe comment and tell your friends about us join in with the debate on twitter at netflix pod where we'll be teasing details of our next episode that's right next week we're going to be chatting all things 13 reasons why controversial show is back for its third and penultimate season and we'll have all the theories about what's coming fans of the series you do not want to miss this one see you next week bye